Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Tonight's episode will be playoff-centric. We're going to recap a couple of games that are currently ongoing, but before we get to any of that, I think it would be uh, certainly a mistake not to talk about the tragic loss that I, th- I think all of us are... It's it's hard to deal with right now. Um, you know, I wasn't even alive during this time, but Dale Havertruck actually passed away today at the age of 57. Unfortunately, he, he succumbed to cancer, and that's one of those things that I, I think we all, in many capacities, have had an experience with, whether it's a family member that we care about, a loved one to our friend. Cancer doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care about us. I think it does serve as a reminder to treasure all the moments that you have and all of those special times that you can spend with the people you care about and love. You know, I know within my own family, we've had quite a few instances and and situations where people we know or or care about have, have succumbed to cancer as well. It's an extremely hard battle, and I've I've seen a lot of people who have gone through it, and it takes a lot out of you. And, and Dale Howardchuck really fought every inch as much as he could, and now, you know, he, he can rest without having to fight anymore. I never got the chance to see him play, you know, because it was certainly uh, well before my time, before I was born and before I was really interested in hockey. But the thing about Howardchuck is that you didn't have to watch him. When he was mentioned in Winnipeg, it was like talking about, Gretzky or Messier or Mario Lemieux, but to Winnipeg, Havertruck meant something more. It's more than just an iconic player. It's somebody who bled the city through and through. You often hear about Shifley talking about him, and a lot of it is how he pushed Mark to be the best person and player that he could be, and I think that that is something that everyone seems to have a story regarding Dale in this sort of similar vein. You know, he was always humble, he was approachable, he had this blue-collar spirit, he was always a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, and I think that that was very much reflected in the way that he felt about Winnipeg and in the way that he played for the team. And truly, he is, you know, some would say he's probably the best player to never have a cup ring. I think winning is important to everyone, of course, but Halverchuk meant something more to the city and, and really represented a dream and a hope for so many young kids who got to watch him play. Yeah, I, I honestly was trying to figure out what to say about this because... I didn't grow up in his era, and yet I felt a sense of intense loss earlier today. I didn't really know how to describe it or even talk about it, because on the one hand, I can't have the same connection that people who grew up watching him do. But on the other hand, he means so much to Winnipeg that you can't help but feel connected to it anyways. It's not often that I grieve and mourn for a celebrity passing on. I mean, it's always a sad time for the most part, and and you, you express condolences and you wish the families well, but you don't always feel connected to these people. But Haverchuk was something different, and I think that that really is reflected in the way that people are talking about him right now. And it's just, it sucks, man. I don't think I've been this upset about a, a famous athlete passing away in a long, long time. As always, you know, we continue to, to try and find a cure for cancer and continue to support those who are currently ongoing with those struggles because we have so many people out there who are fighting these battles against uh, a, a sickness that we don't really understand how to beat yet. But I know one day that we will, and you know we won't have to see guys like Dale leave this world too soon. 
all that said, I, I'm sure that Dale wouldn't have wanted me to dwell on this subject too long, so I thought I would transition to talking about our, our actual playoff hockey that's ongoing. I, I'm not really in the mood to discuss hockey, to be honest, but you know, I'm sure a lot of folks are, are staying uh, actively involved and watching the games and trying to see what's going on and hoping to keep up to date, so I'm going to suck it up for you fine folks and tell you some of the stuff that happened today. First game on the docket is Montreal versus Philadelphia, and this is probably one of the most boring games that I've even tried to check in on. I was watching bits and pieces of it in between doing some work, and it's just, yikes, dude. Uh, <laughs> somehow the Flyers have managed to have a lead after four games, despite only scoring five goals across all four games. Uh, this is a fun little factoid that I did not know could be possible, and it's really a testament to the fact that A, Montreal hasn't really been able to get a whole lot of offensive production going, and B, Elaine Vigneault is very happy to sit on one and two nothing leads. The goals that Philadelphia scored today, for the most part, weren't even that special. One of them was kind of like a fluky point shot or something that deflected, and I don't even remember what the first goal was, but it it was pretty painful to watch, man. It was like a trap and counter game, except none of the counters really generated much offense. And I mean, these teams just didn't really do a whole lot. And it felt like the last game where, again, Philadelphia got an early lead and then just sat back for the rest of the game. You know, it felt more like a European football match than it did a hockey game, which is not exactly the kind of flow that I think most people are looking for. I think a lot of folks enjoy high-octane action, speed... Uh, lots of goal scoring and lots of offensive opportunities, great saves. And we had a couple of those things, but not very many. And to be honest, man, it's just, it's just a very boring game. I get what Vigneault is trying to do, but I think that if this is what the Flyers are going to do going forward, they're going to have a much harder time doing this against a team like Tampa Bay or the New York Islanders or whoever else they would have to face next. I think they would be scheduled to play the Bruins if both teams advanced to the next round, and yikes, dude, that's just not a great matchup if you're Philadelphia. The Bruins have been pummeling their way back into a series lead against the Carolina Hurricanes, and that's that's just not good news. They don't even have their top goal scorer, and they're really putting a hurting on a really talented and deep Hurricane squad. So if you're the Flyers, man, you're going to have to figure out some way to create more offense than just trapping and countering the entire time. We know that the Flyers can actually score quite a few goals. We've seen them do it many times, so I can't imagine that against a team with a lot more offensive skill and speed, or even uh, in, in Boston's case, defensive acumen, that they would just kind of sit deep because you can't. The Bruins are one of those squads that have a really well-rounded game with an extremely strong defensive structure, and the moment that you let them get a lead, it's going to be so hard to break down. So I think Philadelphia is going to need to be more ambitious going forward. They've gotten away with it against Montreal because the Habs don't exactly have a world-beating offense, and I feel like they don't exactly have elite goal-scoring talent either, so that's just a, uh, a recipe that allows Philadelphia to not expend as much energy and basically just sit deep and, and trap and counter the entire time after they get a lead. Whoever they face in the next round, though, it's not going to be the same situation. They're going to have to be a little bit more ambitious, and it's going to be a tough match. Up next, we'll update you on the Calgary-Dallas series, as well as the ongoing Washington-New York Islanders game. But before then, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about maintenance and upkeep, which is always a challenge no matter what kind of maintenance and upkeep you're doing, but it's especially difficult when you're trying to maintain and repair your vehicle. We all know that trying to find and buy replacement car parts is always a pain in the butt, because you need to know the make, year, model, and part type that you're looking for, and sometimes those answers don't come easily. 
even if you know what you're looking for, your local auto parts store that's a brick and mortar retail shop may not have what you need in stock. When all else fails, turn to rockauto.com. The fine folks at rockauto.com have been in the business for over 20 years and run an easy, intuitive to use website that allows you to filter by car details and price range for the parts you want to pay so that you always get what you need at the price you need. Whether you're looking for a new engine control module or a floor mat, rockauto.com has what you need in stock. If you place an order, be sure to write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Head on over to rockauto.com today. Welcome back to our NHL playoffs coverage. And if you're wondering what exactly is going on in the postseason, it's just been total chaos, man. But we've seen a couple of overarching trends. And one of the trends that I think kind of went under the radar is that I didn't think that the Calgary Flames... When they were playing the Winnipeg Jets, I didn't get the sense that they were like playing outstanding hockey. I thought that they had a couple of really standout performances from like some specific lines and players, but on the whole, there was something about their performance that I felt a stronger team other than the Jets would start to expose. And in the series against the Dallas Stars, I think those cracks are starting to become more and more apparent. Calgary is leaning really heavily on its middle and bottom six units, and some of those lines are more capable of carrying the slack than others. I think the issue with the top six is that right now Johnny Goudreau is trying to do a lot himself, and his only support at this point is like Mikhail Backlund. We're also seeing elevated roles for guys like Andrew Mangiapane, and uh, I think uh, Dylan Dubé is getting lots of ice time with Milan Lucic and Sam Bennett, but I think the important thing to consider here is that these are players who aren't supposed to be the most pivotal offensive generators. I think you're looking at Sean Monahan to step up, Elias Lindholm to be better, and it's just they're not really getting the kind of offensive production that you need. You know, Johnny Goudreau is setting up lots of chances. He's getting into good shooting lanes. He's setting up nice passing lanes. He's everywhere on the ice, but he can't be the only one to carry the offensive load, and I think that that is something that some Flames fans are sort of overlooking right now. The Stars have managed to keep the the Flames really at bay, and I think they've done a good job of kind of upsetting the card a bit. The Flames have had trouble dealing with uh, Dallas's forecheck and speed, especially on the counter, and some of those issues are starting to become more and more apparent, especially as the games wear on. Today felt like one of Dallas's better performances overall. I think that they played a pretty strong game, and I would say that, especially through the first couple of periods... And honestly, I just thought that the Stars played a pretty well-rounded game. They didn't really give up many scoring opportunities, and the one goal that Calgary was able to score was kind of a little bit on the flukier side, but overall, I think Calgary really could not get into the low slot area where they're often fairly dangerous because they're capable of scoring some like nice cross-seaming goals. They get really dirty goals from guys like Sam Bennett, and they just weren't able to bully their way into that area until the end of the game. As far as Dallas's own offensive opportunities were concerned, I think that they tried one too many point shots here and there, but one of them actually ended up being the game winner, and that one was kind of, again, another bit of a fluky goal. But I also think that Cam Talbot was tested pretty frequently. Dallas is usually not one of those teams that's like a high-octane offensive squad. I think that they can generate a lot of offense, but it's not usually the most dangerous uh, quality chances. Outside of their their top line, I, they generally don't have a whole lot of really high-end scoring punch, but what they do have is a pretty good depth forward unit comprised of guys like Cagliano, Marias Janmark, Denis Gurionov, and a few other guys backed up by some really good star young talents like Rope Hintz, and then some of the more veteran players like Tyler Sagan. Really good squad, but I think that, uh, especially in this series, 
we've seen Miro Heiskinen and John Klingberg put on a huge clinic. These two guys are so pivotal to what Dallas wants to do, and I think that they are really helpful in creating tons of offense and transitioning zones, and Heiskinen in particular has had a really standout series. Sean Tierney, who is at Charting Hockey, actually had a, a funny comment that because of Heiskinen's quality, he tends to forget that John Klingberg is also very good. It's just that Heiskinen is really somebody who's capable of stealing that limelight so easily. I do think that the Stars have a couple of minor issues, and I think the biggest thing for them is that they're going to need to figure out how to be a bit more, I, I think, opportunistic and predatory on the goal-scoring chances that they're creating, because I don't think that they really got as many high-danger looks as they were hoping for. They they kept certainly kept the Flames from getting to the same area in their own end of the ice, but I think as far as their own offensive opportunities were concerned, they just didn't really create uh, enough to be particularly dangerous throughout most of the game. They certainly had everything in volume, but I think they want to get a little bit lower in the slot, and they want to get some of their guys like Denis Gurionov going. Their depth players right now are, are doing enough to create and defend pretty well, but they aren't actually getting to those most dangerous spots, and they aren't scoring a whole lot of goals. Now, it is kind of funny to say this because uh, they actually have been scoring quite a few in other games, but tonight was a fairly low event, uh, I guess, game as far as actual goals were concerned. In the other games, I think you just had some defensive breakdowns and shoddy goaltending that ultimately got Dallas and Calgary their respective wins. This one was probably the most normal game of the series, and if Dallas can do this again for one more game, they should have the series win in hand, but I think that no matter who survives this, you know, if you have to go face one of Colorado or Vegas down the road, you're not going to survive that. It would take a minor miracle for any of Calgary or Dallas to get through those squads, uh, you know, because those teams are just so freaking good, man. Colorado might legitimately be the second best team in this postseason picture outside of, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. They just don't really have any dead weight on their roster, and all of them are playing at an exceptionally high level. Now, of course, this could change if they're going to play an actual quality team outside of Arizona. No offense to the Yotes. They're just not really a playoff contender that I would consider a strong opponent for, for Colorado. But we'll know more once they play Vegas. Assuming all goes as expected in tonight's Chicago-Vegas game, I, I think that we'll be seeing a pretty intense series between the Avs and the Knights. Before we close things out, I'll give you a live in-progress update as well as my thoughts on this uh, Washington Capitals and Islanders game, which has been pretty crazy. If you were thinking the Caps were going to respond, you are both wrong and right at the same time. Heading into tonight, I kind of expected to be talking about how the New York Islanders had swept the Washington Capitals after yet another pitiful performance from Washington, but actually, well, it almost got there. Uh, throughout the first period and first period and a half or so of action, the Caps basically just didn't show up. The New York Islanders have been a very difficult team throughout this entire season. And like the way that the Isles have worked over the Caps has been through a really aggressive forecheck, a really strong cycle game, and just like a really annoying presence in, in both the offensive zone and the defensive zone. It's just really hard to break Trotz's team when he feels comfortable with both his tactics and his personnel. He can be so dangerous when he has time to pre-plan against any opponent out there. And he's had plenty of time to practice against the Caps since he actually coached them and essentially trained his successor, Todd Reardon, in so many different aspects. So you had an interesting battle here between a coach who understood the Caps roster intimately versus somebody who also should, but I don't really feel like has always done the right thing with this team. So I was kind of curious to know, would the Caps show up and respond? An early 2 nothing deficit in the first period 
looked like, nope, the Caps were pretty much done. I was ready to write this game off, and then the second period hit, and all of a sudden it's like the Isles came out of the dressing room and just started making all of these mental errors and mistakes. They started taking penalties, and when you take penalties against the Caps, you usually get punished for it, and the Caps punish them for it. Kuznetsov scored, and then not too long afterwards, after some more undisciplined play and just really stifling neutral zone uh, forechecking that kind of disrupted what the Isles like to do, uh, the Caps then had Ovechkin tie the game, and then this whole thing continued where the Caps were able to generate quite a bit of pressure until you got to the third period, and you would think, okay, well, maybe maybe the Isles will be all right and things will improve. But in this third period, Washington again basically threw New York's game plan back at it, stifling their offensive creativity, shutting down their transition game, and just pounding them in all areas of the ice with a ton of physicality and a ton of speed. And this is like a form of the Caps that we haven't seen in a long time. Ovechkin then scored the go-ahead game-winning goal to make it 3-2, which I, you know, wasn't exactly expecting from this team. I, I really didn't think that they were going to have enough to pull it out. I thought that they would still find a way to lose because this team this year just hasn't been good in this postseason picture. They've looked lackadaisical, lethargic, and just a little bit old. But thankfully, I think the biggest thing for the Caps is that Evgeny Kuznetsov, when he gets pissed, and when he actually starts really putting in the, the work shift that he needs to he can be an unstoppable offensive force. If he plays like he did when they won the cup a couple of years ago, then the Caps' top six totally looks different in Nick Backstrom's absence. You know, Backstrom, of course, I think is still injured and still sitting on the sidelines. And so they need Kuznetsov to be that offensive catalyst and help some of these other forwards get into it because Lars Eller, while he is capable and is a pretty good player, is anchoring that second line, you know, as, as their center. So I don't know that that is really the ideal situation for Washington. They need Kuznetsov to start to get it going, and this time he actually looked like he was really in gear. This was probably one of his best games in many months, if maybe not in a couple of seasons. It's been a while since he's been playing good hockey. And if you're the New York Islanders, that is scary, because a motivated, active Kuznetsov is a terrifying force. His distribution, his shooting, and his vision are all top-notch when he's on his game, and that is something that I think the, uh, the Islanders are going to have to be very careful to watch out for. I don't think that this game's performance really tells a different story other than the Caps finally won a game and were able to overcome themselves, but I, I think the, the overarching narrative is still that Todd Reardon's job after this series is done. I don't think Washington's going to be able to come back and win four straight to do a reverse sweep. Maybe I'm proven wrong and maybe the Caps kind of reverse this whole thing and are able to put on a really good performance, but I'm just not 100% convinced yet. I see this team, I've seen what they've done this season, and I've seen what they're doing in this postseason, and I feel like eventually it's just going to run out. We'll know in a couple of days, but overall I'm just kind of lukewarm on Todd Reardon's tenure here, and I think that at some point the Caps are going to need to make the hard decision to cut him loose. They're almost out in the first round as it is, and that, if you're the Caps, is just not good enough in the waning years of both Nick Backstrom's career and Alexander Ovechkin's career. For tonight, that's going to do our coverage. We'll have more thoughts on the Chicago and Vegas game tomorrow, depending on whether or not the series is even progressing past tonight. We'll see soon enough, but... For now, that'll do it. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log up, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast, hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thanks so much. Enjoy your night, and go Jets go.